Today's lesson text comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 2, verses 23, through chapter 3, to verse 6. Now we are jumping into the fourth and fifth conflict that characterized Jesus' early ministry in Galilee. In our series so far, we have looked at the first three, which the first one being the familiar story of the lame man who's dropped down through the roof. And the conflict there was Jesus challenged the Pharisees, which one's easier to say? Rise up and walk, or your sins are forgiven. And Jesus was kind of pointing out that, well, we in church often say your sins are forgiven, but that's actually the heavier task than saying get up and walk. Then in the second conflict, that was the, again, probably familiar story of Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners, and we explored what sinners meant, how that was more what the Pharisees called the people of the land, folks that weren't interested in religion, and how there was a conflict between the Messiah appearing and going to those on the periphery instead of those that seemed deeply interested in religion and zealous like the Pharisees. Then the third conflict was that Jesus did not fast. And Jesus there summed up his position that while John and his disciples fasted, because John had preached repentance and the kingdom was coming, well, Jesus' whole message is, the kingdom is here. So fasting was therefore inappropriate for John's reason. And then for the Pharisees, who fasted every Tuesday, Thursday, and whatever, to prove how holy they were, Jesus pointed out, that's not really the point either. So today we come to the fourth and fifth conflict. They are very interrelated, so we are taking today to look at them in joint. So hear the word of the Lord, according to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, starting on the 23rd verse. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And David gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind, and not humankind for the Sabbath. He said this so you may know the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched Jesus to see whether he would cure this guy on Sabbath day, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? But they were silent. Jesus looked around at them with anger, and he was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The 
The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him. How to kill this Jesus? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may bring honor and glory to you. Amen. So just kind of sum up where this initial conflict of the disciples going through the grain fields and just plucking heads of grain and eating them comes from. You have to know a little bit about the Pharisees, and don't worry, this one's not a history lesson. The Pharisees took an approach to the Old Testament law that was called fencing. So if there was a rule in the Old Testament that you shouldn't work on the Sabbath, they took an approach that to avoid work, they would be extra, extra strict. And one of the things that was in the Pharisaical law that was forbidden on the Sabbath was reaping. So because reaping was forgiven, anything that approached reaping was forgiven. And so the Pharisees, being guardians of the tradition here, when they see Jesus going and they see his disciples walking and plucking grains, the Pharisees followed the tradition of first giving a warning before charging for Sabbath break. So they see them going along and they say, look, what they're doing is not lawful on the Sabbath. And then Jesus gives a response that is a little unique. It's not exactly how rabbis would argue. But David calls together, I mean, Jesus calls up a story of David that was very popular in his day, and one that rabbis loved to debate. In the Hebrew temple, it's kind of where the, the Catholic idea of bread and the mass comes from. In the Catholic temple, I mean, in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, there was what was called the showbread. And every day, the priest would take the bread out of the oven and put it on this table that was set up in a special section of the temple and the tabernacle, and nobody was allowed to touch it except for the priest. That's the important part. No one could touch it except for the priest. Well, there's a story from David's life where David is on the run as he normally is. David, if you remember your Old Testament or you've never heard of him before, the important thing to know about him is he is a fighter. Him to get himself into trouble in one of his many adventures, he comes to the temple. And him and his companions need food, and they're like, What do you got? And the high priest there, it's not Abathar, it's actually his dad, goes looking around the temple for what he can give David and his men to take with them. And what does he find but the showbread? And the action of that high priest shows that when David and his companions or someone needs food, even though there's those religious rules that no one should have the showbread except for the priest, that to do the kindness, you break it. So Jesus uses that as his first example, but then he goes to verse 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not the humankind for Sabbath. Now this one is kind of interesting because it challenges some of our Cultural assumptions regarding Jesus. We, there's a, just a tendency of humanity to make Jesus something like a person of our age. It's one of the advantages of having a God that comes down in human form. We see him through a human lens. And it just so happens that if you aren't living in the same generation as someone who put one of those out before you, you can see it. 
Like if you go and watch a 1970s movie about Jesus, he really looks like a flower child. And for us millennials who didn't go through any of that, <laughs> it really stands out. Well, Jesus here is getting radical. And just one of the things that I want to say today in regarding this radicalness, because it will come through in the second story even more, we tend to see Jesus as being radical through a 1960s, 70s kind of lens, where he's like the rule breaker. Jesus here is going to approach the Pharisees much more as the reformer. So Jesus' answer here is actually much more of a Martin Luther answering to a bishop than it is the young person speaking truth to power. So Jesus takes this example from Scripture that kindness should override the religious rules, but then he, in verse 27, actually is quoting a famous rabbi. He goes to the, to the traditional teaching and points out that the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So Jesus here is trying to point out what's the whole point of the Sabbath. Now, to get that one, the best I can think of that everyone could relate to is coronavirus. As a pastor, everybody was going on before coronavirus hit about how they were all stressed out. They were working 60-hour work weeks, 80-hour work weeks. They didn't have any time for the kids. Everything was busy. How these bills keep coming in? Coronavirus was interesting because at the initial part, at least, everybody said, stop. And all of us looking back and remembering that can remember how bad it actually was when everything stopped. A lot of people who were saying, well, I'd be a better parent if I had the time to be home with my kids. I could, I, I could do more of my hobbies if I had all this free time. You give them one or two weeks of, of state-mandated time off, and they are just chomping at the bit. It, a lot of the social ills, especially early on, were the fact that we just couldn't slow down. And when it comes to Christians in the Sabbath, I think we tend to relate to it in the same way. We come to church and, and pastor, you got to get the sermon over in 20 minutes because I'm thinking of where I'm going to go for lunch yet. We can't slow down. And even if you're one of those people who doesn't come to church, how do we normally fill our weekends? If you're a working schlub like me, you do all the work you don't get paid for, like laundry and fixing faucets. And for people who can afford plumbers, they create work out of thin air. They find hobbies, boating, whatever it is, something to break, something to fix, something to fill that time. And that's why God instituted the Sabbath. It was God's quarantine for busyness. Stop. Stop what you are doing and take a day. And that's why reaping was forbidden. You couldn't just go out and work like you always did. But, and this is why Jesus is, is here getting nitpicky, the day was not just a day of rest, but it was a day of rest set apart to be holy. To take that time, to take that pause, and actively move out to enjoy God. You see, one of the reasons... People, when they got shut in from corona, had to cover it with a bunch of busyness. One of the reasons people can't sit and dwell in silence is allowing to be the pastor here and evangelize a little bit. People have a spiritual need that God has put in them 
to seek him and be in relationship with him. And when we obscure that, we go reaching out for other things to try to fill the time, to try to fill the silence. The Sabbath was set apart so people would get in their closets, would turn their hearts towards God, and let that need be filled. And that's why Jesus said that the Sabbath was created for people, to fill a need that people had. And he was correcting the Pharisees that being nitpicky, that walking through the field and just eating some grain, which was allowed by the law, was not getting in the way of that. It was not the same thing as going out and like running your tractor. But Jesus was also pointing out to these Pharisees, I think, because he loves to pick the hornet's nest, that sitting there and watching Jesus and his disciples to see if they break the rule about the Sabbath was not really keeping it either. It wasn't creating in that Pharisee that relationship. And so we get to the head. So, as I've said before, Mark is using different stories to kind of make a big giant sandwich to prove his point. And so we get to chapter 3, again he entered. So on another day, but Mark has put these two right together because he wants this to escalate. So Jesus goes into the synagogue and being Jesus, there's a guy who's got a withered hand and he's like, hey, Jesus has showed up. I'm going to get him to fix it. And we know right here from verse 2, they watched Jesus to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath. So all of Jesus' enemies are sitting there. Is he going to cure him on the Sabbath? Hmm. Because they had that misunderstanding that the Sabbath was like, do nothing. If there's no Sabbath that you see God, behold, you just can't work. And if he heals him, that's going to be work. And Jesus tells the guy, Come here. And he throws a question out to the Pharisees that is very, very important. Now, I started with Mark chapter 1 that Jesus was preaching, the kingdom has come. You're either in or you're out. This is the moment of decision. God stands in front of you. Will you have faith? Will you be saved? Or will you turn and perish? Jesus is a hellfire preacher. I'm sorry, there's no other way to put it, especially as we get in the later chapters. And he's throwing that hot on the Pharisees here. He's saying, this is the Lord's Sabbath, and you have a choice. Is the Lord's Sabbath a day of healing, or is the Lord's Sabbath a day of killing? And he is throwing it that, that strongly with verse 4. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? Now, the Pharisees aren't stupid. They know what the answer is to that. Lots of people who want nothing to do with religion, know what the answer is to a question like that. Come on, Jesus. We're not going to say we're going to be the bad guy. But this silence is not consent. They're not saying, okay, Jesus, go ahead and heal this guy. You're totally cool with us. And we get a glimpse into Jesus' heart. Verse 5. He looked around at them with anger, and he was grieved at their hardness of heart. This is one of those times that Jesus actually gets mad and righteous anger. One of the things that modern religion has trouble with at times is the idea that God can get angry. Now, anger is not an inherent part of who God is. Wrath is not a divine trait. Anger in both Testaments is always something that God is provoked into. And we are told in many passages that God is long-suffering, slow to anger, 
But at this point, the Pharisees, in front of all that is good, will not say that it's good to do good on the Sabbath. Come on now. That is just poking the divine bear. So Jesus is angered here. It's completely understandable. And the Greek is kind of interesting on this. He was grieved. That's not, that's not quite a strong enough word. The Greek makes a play on the word pity. Because these Pharisees are so pitiless. This guy with a messed up hand. Can we fix that on Sunday? Please? Would you allow that? Jesus is, is that... That twisted at him. And so he finally tells the guy, stretch out your hand. The guy stretches it out, and the hand is restored. So Jesus answers his own question. It's good to do healing on the Sabbath, and he shows it by doing it. Because as Mark told us in one of his commentaries, verse 8, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus says what goes. Jesus has control over it. And he, as the Lord of the Sabbath, says, it is my day to heal. But look at the reaction of the Pharisees. This is going to get, this sums up a lot of Mark, and this is the end of his ministry in Galilee, pretty much. We're going to kind of shift gears. We get to verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians, that is, the Jews that hung out with all the Romans and power brokers, how to kill Jesus. So that's the response. Now the question is, why do they go all the way to kill him? Well, it has to do with what I said. Jesus is the reformer radical. Now Jesus, as we get through in the teaching, will be very much the first person to ever go sola scriptura. Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, points out that when the Holy Spirit puts it in scripture, that's what it meant to say. And he has no business for any of the traditions of the Pharisees to try to make it tougher, but avoid maybe bending the rules a little bit. Because Jesus understands the Holy Spirit put that leniency and liberty for us to understand it in Scripture. It's the old when God makes a statement, the conversation is over. His conflict with the Pharisees here is the Pharisees had an oral tradition that they put on top of Scripture. Doesn't that sound familiar for church history? And Jesus is not paying any attention to it. And he goes down to the level of scripture, of Leviticus, and to the very spirit of the law. Remember, Jesus is the first to have the Holy Spirit. He uses that inspiration in here. And the Pharisees just cannot understand that the rejection of their viewpoints is any different from a rejection of the law itself. They have melded the two together. Now that gets very cutting when we get into application for today's church. First off, you have reformers like Wycliffe and Hus, who it doesn't end well for. They end up getting burned on stakes when someone says what's, what's good on the Sabbath. They tend to get the same response Jesus did. But we have, in almost all of our church fights today, the issue of human opinion and it being rejected, equaling a rejection of the core of Scripture. We must always be careful that our opinions, and that's a lot of things, 
Does most church bikes come down to what do I like and what do I not like? What's my view on what the proper music is? What's the view on what this is? What color the carpet should be? Those are human things. And when we take the rejection of those as being somehow a, well, let's just take the Bible and toss it out the window, that is not a proper and healthy response and shows where our heart is in the wrong place. I think that this one cuts very deep, even though it's talking about the Sabbath, and I don't mean it in an Adventist way. We have, we're facing as the church ourselves, as just the church in the United States, the issue that the 1960s way of looking at Jesus is out of date, but also the 1970s, 60s way of doing church is somewhat not reflective of the reality that we see among us. And churches nowadays must face their traditions, face the way they have always done it, with the question of, is this really keeping the Sabbath, or is this the mechanisms, the mannerisms, the programs we have done to do that? Which one are we actually fighting over? Because it's, it's, a, it's a very tough one in some ways, because I don't want to be Mr. I'm down on community. But to just call one out, back in the 60s, you went to church because it was considered a source of good. You went to church, you became part of the community, you met people, you got jobs. It was a social thing to come to church. And one of the changes was that social you're obliged to come to church, is pretty much gone now. But a lot of churches, if you pay attention to how they, they try to invite or build up their ministries, what do they double down on? Social things. Well, let's be a little less religious so we can be a little more social. Let's focus that we're very welcoming and that the people here are really great and they can come in and make friends. And what they sometimes fail to see is making friends is still a social benefit. And for the religious market of 2020, that social aspect just doesn't sell. There's lots of churches that throw welcome and all sorts of other things out there that have empty pews. They're not knocking down the door. What does work in 2020, though, and I like Jesus' point out here, is to focus on the scripture itself, the spirit of the Sabbath. Because I can tell you, you come to a church and people feel the presence of God, they feel these people are worshiping something. They may not like each other, but they'll show up. <laughs> I think in some ways that's a success of the Pentecostals. Something's going to happen, and Aunt Hilda's going to jump a few. And that motivates. And that's why we have seen these shifts in Protestantism over what, what, are, what has been a century. It's not any individual. So I just think that as we, as we wrap up this controversy, the the black eye that the Pharisees get is the way they think about religion and the way they have their tradition. Jesus is using the core of religion to fight it. He's not coming in and saying, oh, religion's wrong, you're just completely wrong about God. No, Jesus is one of those annoying people who knows the U.S. Constitution better than you when you decide to get in a fight about it. He's one of those annoying people who doesn't have to look it up on Wikipedia that's the way he's building these Pharisees. They know all the different rulings and everything every rabbi has ever said about it. But Jesus knows the first. The text. 
But even more than that, as we know, because we're reading the gospel according to Mark, he is the first. When we call Jesus the word of God, it doesn't just mean he knows Leviticus, he is Leviticus. That's why we have to keep the Old Testament in the New Testament, because Jesus is the Old Testament walking around. And who do you think knows himself? Let us pray.